The Bechdel Cast is a podcast on the How Stuff Works network, hosted by comedians Jamie Loftus and Caitlin Durante. Each week, Jamie and Caitlin are joined by a special guest to examine a popular movie and discuss its representation of women through a feminist lens. They conclude each episode by determining if the movie passes the Bechdel test, which requires that a movie has one, two named female characters, two who speak to each other, and three, they speak to each other about something other than a man. Surprise! Most movies don't pass. The podcast aims to call attention to Hollywood's long history of under- and misrepresenting women, and to encourage listeners to be more critical of the media they consume, but with jokes. It's actually a very funny podcast. Uh, Jamie and Caitlin are terrific and hilarious, and uh, they, they make it what could be a difficult subject go down very easy. Movies that have been covered on the podcast include Star Wars, Black Panther, Frozen, Jurassic Park, Beetlejuice... Love Actually, Alien, Titanic, Transformers, many more. There are lots of episodes. New episodes are released every Thursday. Listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Forever. Dog. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah. This is it. We've started. What I'm going to do is ask you to introduce yourselves on the microphone uh, so that the listener knows what your voice sounds like. Uh, tell us also some places they may have seen your name uh, on their television or elsewhere. And Melissa, let's start with you. Uh, my name is Melissa Scrivener Love. Uh, I'm a television writer. Mainly, you probably know me from Person of Interest, um, where I was for seasons two through five. Um, I've also written for um, Life on NBC, CSI Miami, Rosewood, Fear the Walking Dead, and I write novels as well. Yeah, you want to plug those novels? Oh, sure. I actually, <laughs> strangely, have one coming out this week, uh, oh, February 19th, uh, American Heroine. It's the sequel to Lola, which is my first novel. Um, I've only written two, so only two. those are the oh, two. That's two it. more than most people have ever managed to. Yeah. <laughs> Including myself. Congrats. Um, Jessica. So, my name's Jessica Grazel. Um so most recently, people probably would have seen my name on Designated Survivor. Before that, I was on Shades of Blue. Before that, I was on a show nobody watched, unfortunately, called Proof. Um, I was on White Collar. And when I was Jessica Reader, so before I got married, I was on Hawaii Five-0 and Leverage. Um, so I did a really good job of maintaining my anonymity for as long as possible. <laughs> I'm just going to change my name and keep people confused. Um, yeah. Thanks. Um, Stephanie Micus, uh, you've probably only ever seen my name on screen if you are a 13-year-old girl who is browsing Netflix. Um, I wrote a feature called Hope Springs Eternal, um, but I have not, I've not staffed on a TV show yet. Um, what has your been, what has been your relationship with, uh, selling and pitching pilots? Um, my relation, I came from stand-up and sketch, and then the first thing I sold unwrapped was a feature about my life. Mm -hmm. And I, and then I got wrapped. I found that, um... Writing a feature and having it produced does not even remotely translate into any traction with TV. Yeah. And I don't like movies and I don't watch them. <laughs> and I, someone found my pilot an hour long and asked if I could adapt it to a feature. So I did. Interesting. But I don't. I don't like features, so I. it's really hard to explain that I really actually just can write TV and always wanted to. They don't really... They want to like put you in back to features because you can yeah. get a lot of feature meetings and do a lot of development. But uh, yeah, so <laughs> it's a weird relationship. They don't. It's yeah. like you wrote the marathon of screenwriting and they don't believe that you could write a half hour. Right. And you then you give the it sprint. to them and then they're like, here it is. And they're like, yeah, but like movies. And um, you're like, I want to talk about the pitching process because I know uh, both of you, I think, had pilots mm -hmm. last year and this year. Is that right? Just this year for me. Okay. Um, tell us what your pilot was this year and, and what's happening. So, nothing. <laughs> so I'm getting a lot of sleep now. That's what's happening with my pilot. Um, Congrats. Yeah, no, I mean, it's good. Um, uh, so my pilot was called First Lady. It was at CBS. It was CBS for CBS. Um, and, you know, I had a really delightful uh, development experience, network development experience, which, um, you know, is probably not all that common because um, it's a, it can be grueling. Um, I got this because my agents forwarded me an email about like an open writing assignment. Oh, they were just looking for a writer and the idea. Who was looking? Um, 
the production companies Cloud9 and Solar Drive. So Eric Christianolson and Michael Weatherly's pods at mm-hmm. CBS. And they'd had this idea, but it was just kind of the germ of an idea. And I immediately resonated with it. It's about uh, it was about the first first lady to divorce the president of the United States. And she goes back and like starts her own life. And it was an intersection of all these things that I love, politics, family drama. And then I brought to it also like an investigative journalism angle. Hmm. Um, So. um so, yeah, I mean, it was a really positive experience. And I, 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 this was my first network development experience. So I expected it to die at every single thing. Sure. Yeah, I was like, yeah. I'm going to go in and I'm going to pitch my take on this. And they're going to be like, thanks. It was so nice to me. And I'm never going to hear from them again. And they're like, no, I think we should make this a pitch. And I was like, okay, we'll take it to the studio and they'll show me the door. Yeah. So wait, let, me, let me back up a little bit because I, I find this stuff so interesting. And, and we've gone out and done these sort of casting calls, mm-hmm. uh, these sort of pitches. So when you heard about the open assignment and you got sent in mm-hmm. for it, what, how much did you? go in with I really went in with probably like a five to ten minute version okay um, a lot of it was just my own personal story I really connected with the character on a personal level because I've also been married to a president sure. no nope, that's not true that's not true although Obama if you're listening I, I could leave my husband um kidding um, <laughs> husband if you're listening i don't mean that um, but um i i had like a personal story that i felt like really made me um fall in love with this character and really the piece that they were looking for was fill in the blank of what's the procedural engine for the show every mm-hmm. week and i went in and i pitched like three different fill in the blanks like it oh, could be this it could be this it could be this we're um, often told not to do that to say like come in with the clear one thing that you know it is and probably that would have been better um, I don't know. But it doesn't sound like it. I wasn't particularly convinced any of them were right. Sure. So I was like, let me give you some options. Um, I think ultimately that's probably the thing that made the show not go forward. Is mm-hmm. The reason they were having trouble filling in the blank is because it's a really hard blank to fill in. Mm-hmm. Like, what does the first lady do when she stops being a first lady? Probably just goes to a lot of brunches. Right. You know, but like that doesn't make compelling television. So, uh, so. I, you know, I, I knew and I was honest with them that, like, this is going to be the tricky widget. And mm-hmm. uh, but I was a journalism major. I felt like it was the right time to tell that story. And so while I came in with a few options, I was like, look, this is the hardest one. I also think it's the right one. Mm-hmm. And so I gave like a couple of minutes spiel about that. And then really it was about my personal connection. And truthfully, I think that's what sold them. They love that. They do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Anyone really likes that. That's their favorite. Mm-hmm. And truthfully, I I understand that they do. I'm not actually sure it makes sense because ultimately, like, that kind of goes away after you've pitched it, right? Like, Mm -hmm. nobody actually cares if I connect to this character once I'm writing the script as long as I can write it with authenticity and as long as I can, you know, execute, like, a basic, you know, the story. But it does, I think, help a lot in the pitch. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that, I think, got me to the next step. Um, And then, so it's not, it's not going. They're not shooting it, right? Right. Uh, How do they, how do they let you know? Oh, (laughs) you know, I kind of uh, got let know through like a series of like, looks like it might be going this way. It looks like it might be going this way. Um, So it was like a little bit of a slow death. And then finally, like the final nail in the coffin. Um, But, you know, I, uh, they handled it very well. Um, The, 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 person uh, Elena who was the head of the development department called me and she's like look I don't know if this makes it better or worse but you couldn't have gotten any closer it was down to you and one other script and it just went the other way and I was like yeah I thought it. I was like I don't know if that makes it better or worse but in like down the road it makes it a little bit better because yeah. yeah. like I said it was my first time and really my only goal it was not to get a show on the air it was just not to piss off everybody and look like an idiot sure. so I was like if I did that yeah. I'm fine yeah. I will yeah. now go home and play with my 10 month old um and so uh, yeah i was happy that i made it that far and especially because it wasn't my idea i felt Mm -hmm. a tremendous amount of responsibility for shepherding this idea that somebody else had cared about um which is a very different relationship than if it had been something that i came in with you know i i 
feel like I took there was more responsibility there in the same way that when you're on staff I think it's a little Mm -hmm. bit different than when it's a pilot sure and I imagine you know career-wise if this was your first development experience this takes you to another level this makes you someone who develops I guess so (laughs) yeah I mean that's exciting Um, and it it was a kind of a gap on my resume I'd been staffed and you know as all of us know who have been staffed like uh, usually your first year on a show depending on the models changing but you don't get to develop and so Uh, there had been a lot of contracts that i was under where that just wasn't an option mm -hmm. for me and so i was really grateful um uh for the opportunity to sort of have a a bit of time and i just had a baby and so i was like i'd rather not put on pants and go to an office (laughs) so um development sounds fun uh, so, yeah, it, it was something that I'd been wanting to do for a long time and hopefully will open some doors. So Excellent. We'll um, I want to swing back to Stephanie for just Why? a second because <laughs> I'm scared. you uh, <laughs> mentioned how much when pitching that uh, li- executives and buyers like to hear a personal story. And we were talking about this a little bit before yeah. we started rolling. Um, but whether it's been TV or movies. I'm curious about telling that personal story while still making making it a marketable or saleable story. Yeah. And also like how much do you want to let these people in? Yeah. I have a problem letting people in a lot. Like I came from a stand-up background and I started screenwriting when the person I was dating died. And I was like, oh, I want to stay sober. I don't want to be at clubs at night. I don't want to do stand-up. I want to write. So the first pilot I ever wrote was about that experience. Mm-hmm. It was like a, a woman whose boyfriend dies and she's trying to stay on the wagon. And it like it like got to a finalist in a contest, and then that's kind of what started everything. But I I had a I was really like a just a moody, depressed like former drug addict, and I had a lot of stories that I had to get off of me, and like therapy wasn't enough. So the first like five scripts mm-hmm. I ever wrote were just I took I mean I care about screenwriting, I care about stories, so I, you have to narrow things down, pick like one specific thing. So I told like five really important stories to me and I you in know five different in scripts. five different ways yeah. yeah like because things are very complex and you have to mm-hmm. you know narrow it down so I think that's what made it sellable but also like I think the thing that got me in the door every time was how per, like how true to life it was mm-hmm. everything I've ever developed until like this season has been just like completely autobiographical and in those in the development process of those like you're getting notes right and mm-hmm. like this isn't this character's not likable. Right. This is exactly I what about. I did. Okay. Like <laughs> So how do you roll with those notes? How do you, you know, take them or not? Um how I do mean, you develop yourself? I'm really good at taking notes and I that sounds like tooting my own <laughs> horn, but I really I care about TV. I grew up watching it. It's mm-hmm. like saved my life and I really want stories to be fully thought out from start to finish. I want them to be good for the world. I know that life's messy and female protagonists should be unlikable, but I also know that things need to make sense and have a story and the message needs to be on point. Mm -hmm. And I want to write forever, so I'm never really precious about a note. It doesn't ever offend me. Like, there's a million ways to tell a story. I just want to tell the right story. So is I don't know. It, I never. It, it never like made me feel bad. Like your life is yeah. really complicated. It it's not screenwriting. So, you know, I've always right. welcomed producers' input to to know like what needs to be left out for now and what mm-hmm. you can do later as an arc or whatever. Like it's. And I've so never been bothered. There's a point in your process where it ceases to become about you. It oh yeah, like. no. I mean, I always give my protagonist like an S name. It's like Sophie, but it's like it's not. It's not fucking me. Like right. it's definitely not me, and it doesn't hurt my feelings. Mm-hmm. But um, and but I mean, every character in all of my scripts is like somebody. Like, my mom's in like every one of my scripts, but like she knows like that's not her. Sometimes it's like half my mom, half my grandma. Sometimes sure. it's like an ex boyfriend and another. Like yeah. you know, it's just kind of you take everything from your life but it's mostly the grain of like the emotions of like what you felt mm-hmm. and it's not really like plot per se yeah okay good i want to come back to that some to some of that stuff um but melissa you had a couple of pilots this year is that right yes Shit. Wow. um and one last year two last year uh one last year okay. um uh let's talk about this year's which you know it seems like in a similar way they were not these uh it, <laughs> it seems like it was uh, similar to Jessica's experience, that it was not a deeply personal story you were doing. These were sort of stories that came from elsewhere that you made your own. Is that right? Uh, yes. Okay. So so the way that, that these two projects came about, because I did two network pilots this year, and then I'm also developing 
Lola for CBS All Access. So I was kind of in the process of this past year, I've worked on three pilots from July on, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, the first the first one that I did, which was for the CW, was Strong Girl um, that I uh, worked on with. Ronda Rousey producing Mm -hmm. and I'm a huge fan of Ronda's Mm -hmm. and we are at the same agency and there was a point when I called my agent and I said I really want to work with her and like can I meet her and he's like you can't just meet her you have to have an idea (laughs) you have to just start a podcast and like do all of this and what happened with that was there was um she had a three picture deal at lifetime Mm -hmm. so i ended up going in and meeting there and pitching something that i worked on um a couple of years ago uh that she was producing so i did get to meet her i did get to pitch to her and this was when i was new to pitching and pitching was not always a natural thing for me Mm -hmm. um i'm a writer i'm not uh, you know i don't go in and and perform that's not my thing um and so, so that was definitely an interesting experience but then when she was doing strong girl which is based on a korean format um she thought of me and oh, brought great. me in and um that was a, that was a really great experience um it was something lighter in tone mm-hmm. than what i'm used to doing if anyone knows any of my work but <laughs> um so that was a great kind of challenge but i would say for that kind of that pitching experience, there was one day Rhonda was in town and I said, that's when we're pitching Yeah, mm-hmm. and we're going in and we're going to do it all at once. It makes all the difference. It makes right? all the difference. She's sitting right there. Yeah. It, it kind of doesn't matter what I'm saying, which yeah. is always my favorite thing. Because right? I, I just want people to read, like read what I wrote. Mm-hmm. Don't listen to what I say, except for right now, of course. Um, and then the Fox pilot that I did this year was again, uh, based, it was based on a French format. Um, called Witnesses, that Mark Paul Gosselaar actually was, um, he had gotten, he, he got 20th to option the rights, mm-hmm. I believe. And uh, he does jujitsu with my husband. So when my pilot, my Fox pilot last year died. Um, and that the, was the, produced, right? Yes, you, that you was produced. You actually shot that pilot. Um, and it did not go to series. Mm-hmm. So I think the weekend after that, uh, my husband was at jujitsu, oh and MP said to him, "Oh, so uh, I heard your wife's pilot is not going. Could she take? <laughs> I, I know the timing is wrong, but could she take a look at this format?" And I binge watched it. It's it, this very dark serial killers, supernatural, like everything that I love. It's just, and she is a an unlikable protagonist, and just but so likable, so relatable. Um, and I actually ended up making that take place in Kentucky, which is where I'm from. And my mm-hmm. dad was a cop there. Aww. So it's kind of, That's I always cool. wanted to do a cop story in Kentucky and just kind of that messed up world, very Southern Gothic. Mm-hmm. So that was deeply, deeply personal mm-hmm. to me, even though it was based on this yeah. other format. Yeah. Um, and yes. So, um, you know, so, but it is kind of, all right, well, I'm not going to. Both of those network pilots are not going forward at, at the mm-hmm. networks. So it's, it's you know, of course, I was very sad. Um, but also, I'm not ever going to stop writing. It's mm-hmm. not ever anything where I'm like, oh, well, guess guess I'm going to go to law school now. <laughs> um, that's not a thing that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I actually, it's kind of funny the way, so I found out kind of both at once um <laughs> so my agents, my agents so this is actually a very funny story so within i think 10 minutes okay so so it was nighttime i'd had a really good day which is always bad um and there was a knock at our door and, no, no, no. No. And, and my husband was taking the dog for a walk and he was served. Like there was a process server at our door. Oh my gosh. Um, for this, um, I don't, it was a car accident that someone had had with his name, but it was what? Andos 1 through 40. So they didn't know because it's a relatively common name. So they were trying to find whoever this was. Oh. And, so I'm like on the phone trying to get this sorted out with our insurance agent. It's like, what do we do? How do we prove that this is not him? Weird. And then my agents call. <laughs> like, and your pilot's oh, not going forward. Gosh. And then it was so I just found all of that out within the, the oh. space of like 10 minutes. I'm like, well, 
don't ever have a good day. That's, That's the, the takeaway. That yeah. is the takeaway. hundred percent. But yes, crazy. Yes. Uh, let's let's shift gears for a moment and talk about uh, breaking in. Um, I'm curious to hear about the first thing, the first writing you got paid for. Um, and how did you get to that point? Why did someone want to pay you for your writing? And Jessica, let's start with you. I think the short answer is because I was really cheap at that point. <laughs> sure. I had a writing partner. It was a like small order basic cable show. They're like, we need as many writers as cheap as possible, which is a great way so in. Did you actually get staffed on this show? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's the short version. <laughs> but um, so our first writing job was Leverage. Which was a tremendously good experience. Anybody listening to this, if you ever have the opportunity to work for John Rogers or Chris Downey, like 100% take it. And you, have you worked for John a couple times? Is that right? Yes. Oh my gosh, on the player. Uh, yeah, yeah. That Wesley yeah, yeah, Snipes yeah. debacle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I did. So, uh, I mean, I would say that like, the advantage to working for somebody like John and Chris is that they don't just see it as like you're you're, you're an employee. It really becomes like a family, and especially with young writers. Mm-hmm. They really do take on the mantle of responsibility of like, it's our job to train you how to be good at this because we were really young and we didn't know anything. (laughs) And they were like, we're going to teach you how to pitch in a room. We're going to teach you how to produce your episodes. We're going to teach you how to do rewrites on your script. And it took longer. It's an Mm -hmm. inefficient system, right? It's much faster. Just do it. Um, And so if you can find those kind of people, for sure... Um, it was a huge benefit to our career. but There's a reason a generation of showrunners come out of his shows and people like John. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah and I can't wait to like get a cushy consulting gig on one of their shows. <laughs> um, yeah. what, uh, what, where were you before? How did you hook up with this partner? Uh, and why were you so unprepared to be in a room? Well, I mean, I was 27, so I was unprepared to do anything. Sure. Um, uh, I was unprepared to be in any room anywhere. Um, but, yeah, so I... Um, had been working as, as an assistant for Peter Noah, who, again, I mean, I really have had the good fortune of just working for some of the best. Uh, he's one of the best writers, one of the best humans. I knew him because I'd been an assistant on the West Wing. Hmm. I was oh an assistant God. on the West Wing because of Bradley Whitford, who has really? no idea who I am. <laughs> so my entire career Wait. can be traced back to Bradley Whitford, who has no idea How exists. are you an assistant on the West Wing? And, and what kind of an assistant? So I started off as a office production assistant okay. and then I moved up to writer's assistant um, uh, I, in what seasons uh, the last two okay. so I just and seven. that's like my I fall asleep to that show it's <laughs> like my favorite yeah. show all the time I, it's, it's to this day is like the show that like keeps me going I've watched a lot of it since 2016 yeah, yeah. yeah for sure <laughs> um, and before that so um, so I got that because I it was my favorite show it was kind of one of the two shows that made me want to be a writer um, what I, was the other one my so-called life because right. like answer. you like there are shows that saved my life <laughs> yeah. and that was one of them and um and so when i was in college um at wisconsin which is also where i grew up i wrote like a television column for a university newspaper which literally nobody read like i think <laughs> me and my mom sure. sometimes but it's printed uh, but it was it like counts. in print and um bradley Whitford is from madison wisconsin so i sent an interview request to his publicist Oh and 99 out of 100 times, that story ends there. In my case, it ends with Bradley Whitford calling me personally <laughs> and saying, Hey, Jess, it's Brad. I'd be happy to do your interview. And at that point, I died and came back to life. Um, so what ended up happening is I spent like the whole day on the set of The West Wing. And I interviewed Brad and I met Martin Sheen. And and one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was, like, make friends with the assistants because mm-hmm. they're the people whose jobs you want at that point, right? Like, I didn't want Brad's job, although I take <laughs> it because that's a good job. But um, so I kept in touch with his assistant. And when I moved out to Los Angeles, I sent her my resume hmm. and I said, please pass this to anybody you know. I will do anything. And I moved out here, like everybody, with no money and mm-hmm. nothing, and I didn't know anyone. And they called me, and, and they were like, we don't know why we have your resume, but it landed on our desk, and we're interviewing for office PAs. And I came in, and I gave, like, a really, I think, embarrassing speech about how, like, <laughs> I will make coffee, like, for America. Like, it was, like I think they hired me just because they thought, like, this is going to be a trip. Like, she's <laughs> insane. I didn't see how this and goes. I was. <laughs> um, but... I got my foot in the door and I met 
Peter Noah, who brought me on as mm-hmm. his assistant, and he read my script, um, the script I'd written with M- Melissa Glenn, who was my partner at the time. Were you at that? So at that time, um, original pilots were not really the we thing we were writing. Yeah. yeah, I loved when we used to write specs. Spec. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is. I think a much better barometer of whether or not you're actually prepared to be on a staff. Yeah. Absolutely, um, it's what the job is. Yeah, because really, until you develop your own stuff, yeah, the job is to make sure you sound like somebody else. Yeah, and there are a lot of people who can do one thing and not the other, and um, so. Yeah, we we wrote we wrote two scripts together before we got staffed. We wrote a medium, um, and then we wrote a house. Those are great shows to spec. They were, <laughs> and I mean, the house got us signed by CAA, That's and great. that got us um, hmm. that got us on the on our first show. I think you know it's rare. I feel like now a lot of times people go through programs and mm-hmm. stuff. Just like getting an agent because you wrote a script, and that agent actually getting you your yeah. first job is like never happens. I mean, most of the time, I think you get your you get your first job, yeah. you know, and then your agent takes the money and gets you maybe your second or third or fourth job. And this was something I wanted to ask all of you. So as we go through your origins, please include. Like, I like to know how you first get repped. So did you? Did your scripts kind of cold go to agents or did they go through people? So um, I was working for Peter Noah at the time and he was mm-hmm. repped at CAA. Oh, okay. I had also worked um, briefly for Graham Yost mm-hmm. um, and he was repped at CAA. And both of them had said, hey, if you ever want to send us your script, like do oh, it. And so within like 48 hours, two agents at CAA got passed along our script by Graham Yost oh, and Peter funny. Noah. And I was like, well, that's a pretty good yeah. introduction. So it's so funny is I was Peter's assistant. So like I answered his phones. <laughs> so he had agents from CAA calling. I would patch them through to P- Peter and he'd be like, actually, this call is for you. <laughs> like you, should, you were just talking to her. That's awesome. um, so, yeah. So that really just got us in the door. Sure. And you know, that was like a, like 10 years ago. So mm-hmm. I don't know how much that still happens. I really feel like um, we just got lucky and that they took a chance on us. It helped that we were young female procedural writers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, especially at that time. Yeah. Especially at that time. And, you know, that's that's a. That's still true. Fairly, fairly uncommon. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, we were really cheap. We were dirt cheap. <laughs> I mean, we we're splitting a staff. Well, right. that, yeah. yeah. The well, only time. Cheap show. Yeah. The only time I've ever had to ask my parents for help with money was after I got staffed on a show. Oh <laughs> I was like, I don't have any money. Really <laughs> I went funny. back to being an assistant. No in kidding. In between seasons of leverage. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So, but it was totally worth it. And sure. what a great learning experience. So, that's great. Yeah. Uh, that's very interesting. I would have um, paid to do it. <laughs> uh, Stephanie, what was the first thing you got paid for? Let's let's get into that. What's your secret origin? The first thing I got paid for was an already completed feature yeah how does that happen um i was it was 2015 i was like just starting out i wrote a couple specs i wrote a pilot and then i had this my first hour long Mm -hmm. and i was uh, guided by my mentors to like apply for every competition and fellowship so i was applying for the mentors come from i'm gonna interrupt you a lot because i want to dig in i think both of you know my my first mentor was david slack he's (laughs) one of my dearest friends now but i twitter is that right? Yeah, when I moved to LA, I was hustling and I was doing stand up, and then I had a podcast where I interviewed writers and stand ups. And then I got in early on Twitter and just busted my ass writing jokes, you know, got a large hmm. following, got verified. And um, so, you you know, there's kind of like writers' Twitter and comics' mm-hmm. Twitter, and everyone was just kind of like at each other. We like were depressed and had no life, and we'd be in <laughs> on a Friday night. We'd just be refreshed. I guess we were all just refreshing our Twitter. <laughs> And I tweeted something about needing to find someone to shave my head on Christmas Day. And sure. David was like, oh, my wife's sister's a hairdresser. And I was like, thank you. Oh and was like, I think he was like, also, are you okay? <laughs> because that's like a Follow what is happening. Yeah. And then I think he was just like, I think eventually we just started talking and then we met for lunch and I sent him everything I had. Mm-hmm. And I think I just got a bunch of people to read my scripts out of sheer worry for me. <laughs> um, so, so David was like, yeah, do all the fellowships. So I wrote an hour long mm-hmm. teenage drama for a fellowship for Disney. And it's, you know, you never get these contests or mm-hmm. fellowships. You just don't even hear back. And mm-hmm. you're just like, okay. Um, and my friend Denise had made this like blacklist knockoff site because she found <laughs> that a bunch of people that were even rep by UTA, like it was more of the same. And if you had like an hour long, hmm. they wouldn't even touch it. So these 
so these writers would put it on the website. So she was like hustling for me and she was at a party and a bunch of producers from Awesomeness TV were just like, we need a good feature. And she was like, I got you. She (laughs) sent them a pilot. She sent them my hour long and they were like, this isn't a feature. And they were like, just meet with her. So they did. But like it was the most unofficial meeting ever. Like it was like they had left. They weren't even at Awesomeness. They'd left Awesomeness. They had a cousin. It was like. What? <laughs> they had a cousin. They, they were just like. Cousins it was like. can't be helpful. It was like a bunch of like. Can also be dangerous. People yes. that went to the Academy of Dramatic Arts that had money and like wanted to make stuff. They wanted to create their own production company. And they met with me at like a coffee shop. Like not sure. even an office. And they were like, we want to make this movie. But it needs to be a movie first, <laughs> and we can't pay you before it's a movie, nor can we guarantee we will buy it after it's a movie. Oh my God. And I was in a coffee shop. I had my tonsils out a couple months ago. I was, like, nannying. I was nannying for the president mm-hmm. of HBO, but I was just nannying. I wasn't yeah. even, like, a writer's. I was just nannying. So I was like, I'm okay. And I, in my head, I'm really good. My mom said, if you think you can do it, say yes. Figure it out later. In my mind, I go, okay, so, like, can you give me... A month, and they were like, "Yeah." <laughs> um, so December fifteenth, I took that meeting. By January third, I had a full feature. Oh my god! And I wow. sent it to them, and they were like, "Oh shit, <laughs> you sent it to us. It's good. It's because they had already read the hour long. They saw how I was able to change it and stuff, and they were like, okay <laughs> And they bought it and I was like oh I'm not getting hosed on this like I was like David can I have your lawyer and David gave me his lawyer <laughs> he great. retained me I negotiated a contract but um yeah they they bought the feature I did all that got soul writers credit did all the rewrites based on casting and location and budget went to Chicago when it filmed shadowed the director that's crazy I think they felt bad for me because it was like about my life I grew up a make-a-wish kid so I was like mm-hmm. I grew up dying and then I got healed so the seed of it was this like person with Munchausen's who desperately wanted to stay sick, but I turned it into like a palatable like <laughs> girl grows up, die of cancer, gets cured, and then like doesn't know what to do, but finds that like you just have to be honest and whatever. But and it worked out well. But that was I mean I still got hosed. I didn't get writers min like guild minimum. I would probably am like well sure. I mean yeah. was it? But I was, was really it a cheap. Like it was job. No. Yeah. So I, mean, but I mean, like, I, it was so. Very I mean, it paid my rent for like a year, yeah. but like. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> come still, on. It's still tough. Yeah, it didn't yeah. pay like a lot, but. Yeah. Uh, that's wild. Uh, and did you get represented through that? I'm going to say no. Okay. I'm going to say David did it again. David <laughs> would always, he recommended me to UTA, mm-hmm. to my current management, Echo Lake. Like, he just, and I just, anyone that I could, I would just kind of keep in touch with them and remind them that, like, I'm still doing the work, like, mm-hmm. if you can do... So I think everything I've ever gotten was just from favors, people yeah. recommending mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Um, and not just favors. I mean, clearly people, someone saw something there, and then you were able to back it up with yeah. the work. I think that's what it was. I think that's all it was. Because when you come from stand-up, and you're on Twitter, and you're hosting shows, I was, like, mm-hmm. host... I was, like, you know, kind of, like, out there taking pictures, doing, like, yeah. what is that 27-year-old doing? Like, I didn't quite know. And then at some point, I put my head down, and I just wrote and wrote and wrote mm-hmm. and wrote and wrote. And I think... With in that group of people back then, it was very surprising to have someone that could be like, "Here's an hour long. Here's a procedural. Here's a half hour. Yes. Here's a cape," and just really back it up. So yeah. I think people were just like, "I think it's still surprising." I think you know, people. A lot of people say they write or want to write, but how many people actually? Yeah. Actually? Turn out the pages. Like, I write I write every day, and I write, like, in my bed. Like, I don't go to a coffee shop. I don't make yeah. a big to-do. I'm not, like, I'm writing the script. Like, I don't tell anyone about anything I'm writing until it's done. And I write quickly. I write, like, 12 pages a day. Like, I mm-hmm. really, like, I only am happy when I'm on script. Even, like, outlines and treatments kind of, like, make me feel sure. like I have a real <laughs> job. Like, I'm only happy when I'm, like, in um, scene work. I want to pick up there because I want to talk about process for a minute. Um, but, Melissa, tell us about breaking in. What was the thing you got? first paid for and you sort of went the assistant route I did I did Um, and I was um, I was a showrunner's assistant I was a and then and then I transitioned from that into being a writer's assistant Mm -hmm. and then I was I I I was probably a very I think I was a good showrunner's assistant but it became my life Mm -hmm. where it was and and then I found like oh I'm not writing anything and this Mm -hmm. was so that was that was a definitely a wake up call, and then I ended up 
transitioning into a room and that was I felt like I was home mm -hmm. um, and cool. and so that was that was really great and I went over to um, life which was on NBC a long time ago um, and they promoted me after mm -hmm. uh, the first season so Rand Ravitch and far sharing so yeah it was mm -hmm. it was a great show and and they um, just they didn't even give me a freelance or anything. They just ended up staffing me th in wow. season two, which was great. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I was an assistant for about four years um, mm. from the well, time I moved out here until the time I got staffed. What was the kind of stuff you were writing on your own? What were you writing as an assistant? Uh, was it specs? Was it pilots? What were you doing? I was writing mainly specs. Mm -hmm. And then I um, I did write a pilot. Um and I also the spec that I wrote because this was back when you were still kind of writing yeah. specs and maybe getting noticed for them was um, an alternate ending to The Sopranos. So that oh, was cool. the spec that That's I great. wrote that actually got because what I found, um, I think it's it's often not necessarily it's the script that's going to be remembered mm -hmm. yeah. that matters right. for sure um so it's your different take that separates you from the crowd mm -hmm. it's not saying i can do exactly what you do it, it's yeah. here's here's my voice right. I um, yeah years ago this was probably in the first couple of years of doing this podcast michael green referred to that as the magic script yeah. and it's the thing yeah. that sort of sets you apart the mm -hmm. thing that everyone starts to take notice of yeah. um, and it can be you know a spec it can be your take on the sopranos it's right. a, it's yeah. the version of you that people are reading yeah. right yeah yeah my partner and I at the time, oh, this, the spec that got us staffed was the house episode, and it was about an astronaut who got herpes. And in every <laughs> meeting we went into, it's like, we've read 35 scripts, yours is mm -hmm. the one about the astronaut with herpes. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm not saying everybody should write that, but absolutely, <laughs> everyone like, absolutely should. Inundated with like herpes <laughs> and space travel. Um, but it, absolutely, like when you're thinking about like, what's the script that's going to get me remembered, it's not necessarily the one that's got like... That's the best written. It's like the mm -hmm. it's like the yeah. long line, the elevator pitch that they're going to remember after they've read a hundred scripts. Yes, that yeah. exactly. And, and no yeah. one really writes specs anymore, but there's some competitions where you have to. So I've yes. written like right. two, mm -hmm. and even my advice for people doing that is like you want it to have a like an elevator pitch. You want it to be like a Friends episode title, the one with the one. Like with the life. last spec I wrote was for younger, and I was like, mm. okay, I love the show. I guess I should have this be the episode where they fuck finally, um, <laughs> and they she, and everyone finds out how old she is or whatever. And I like was like, okay, how do I do this? And like, I was like, okay, a, a, the bird that the woman owns is gonna listen to a conversation, then like repeat it while they're fucking. Oh my god, that's <laughs> so I was, genius. You know, you wanted to be the one where like the whole series gets blown up, but also just show that you know the rest of the, you know the script like looks and feels like it should. And you right. know the right. tone and you you know whatever, right. but yeah. you definitely want to like go big, right? Well, and memorable, memorable. memorable. Yeah. yeah, it's the one where the bird listens to people, you know, yeah, like, yeah. And the, absolutely, you can fill in the blank, it's the one the with astronaut like, herpes. Like, yeah. yeah, I yeah. want to read that spec. I, yeah. love I do too. I want to read well, yeah, that. What was your alternate ending to The Sopranos? Can oh my goodness! Share that? Um, I'm trying to remember now. Oh no! Um, I I can only remember like bits and pieces sure. of it. Um, it was called "They Killed Her for Their Coach for Her Coach Bag," and it was it was I think it was Met, it was Meadow had died. Like mm -hmm. that was the thing. She she was dead, and then that Tony went on this kind of revenge, like trying to find out who was responsible, and then at the end you find out, oh, it was actually just two guys who hmm. were, like mugged her sure um which and, is in tone with the show yeah yeah, yeah. And, he, and he had gone through like all of this crazy killing and right. revenge spree and you yeah. know interesting yeah um so know. after getting staffed then were you sort of off and running from that point did you get ripped through being staffed oh, yeah. um it, it's so funny how that happens when you get a job <laughs> it's like they come out of the woodwork yeah. um and but you still have to choose, right? I mean, it, unless it, it's packaged and you don't, and sure. you can't. <laughs> um, but it could feel like a big decision, or you know, there are a lot of ways of looking at that decision. Yes, I had done a couple of agency meetings before because I think there were rumblings of, oh, she's a writer's mm -hmm. assistant; she could be, you know, going places. But right. then, you know, I had it was William Morris back then, um, and I, you know, met with them. They took me to Starbucks. 
Um, and yeah, like you guys own a big fancy building. Into their office. I don't know. Maybe my agent isn't really an. Who knows? Anyway, yeah. He's done a great job. But um, but yeah, it, it was. And then I didn't hear from them. Didn't hear from them. Didn't hear from them. And the, the writer strike was happening. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as that was over, um, I guess. Like my showrunner must have called and said, "Yeah, we're going to hire her," um, because immediately it was, "Hey, remember us? We took you to Starbucks." <laughs> um, yeah. We're the only ones who bought you coffee. We're the only ones, <laughs> only ones, and that is true. No one else did buy me coffee. There you go. Um, and there's a part of this business um, where you sort of have to manage the people who manage you. Uh, and was this something you had to learn? We don't have to go deep on this because I actually want to talk about process in a minute, but uh, it's something that's been on my mind. Um, yes. I have found, and I love my reps, and they are great. I hound them mm-hmm. until they, mm-hmm. if, if, it's, if it's a pie-in-the-sky dream, like, hey, I just saw Ronda Rousey fight. And that was amazing. And I want to work with her. And they're like, no, okay, great. And then a week later, like, how's that coming along? Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. and but what I also the flip side of that is that's an easy way to keep yourself from doing the work. Mm -hmm. So I try to keep my head down and write, you know, and even during this pilot season, when it's like, well, what's going on? What's going on? I started a third novel because I'm just like, I, I can't control it. Yeah. So much of it is above my pay grade and it has nothing to do with what I wrote. So I'm not going to worry about it yeah. and I'm going to keep writing. Wow. And that yeah. has always saved my life constantly. It seems to work. Yeah. I, and I feel like that is the biggest lesson of however many episodes of this podcast yeah. is yeah. the thing we can do is write. Mm-hmm. Right. Everything else is out of your control. Mm-hmm. Uh, do the work. Exactly. Um, let's talk about doing the work. Um, Jessica, when you are on script or especially on the stuff that you're writing for yourself, mm-hmm. uh, for mm-hmm. the pilot um, uh, or anything else. What does your writing workday look like? Hmm. You have a small child. I have a small child. That has to get in the way. So, I mean, I would say my entire life now just shifts earlier um, than it did before. Uh, So I am, uh, I'm not a morning person, but I am my most effective in the morning. Mm -hmm. So I really try not to be one of those people who's opening their computer at, eight, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock at night, it's just not going to be my best work. There's 100% times when you have to do it. Um, and, you know, we've we've all been there. But for me, I try to get up, kiss my kid, get out the door or get to the computer as fast as possible, partly because, and this is personal, but I have, I struggle with anxiety. And so if I know writing is coming, like I have to get things done that day. If I don't just get to it and start the work, my anxiety just builds and I think about it all day. Yes. And then by the time I sit down to do it, I've like psyched myself out and I've been yeah. doing this for a long time <laughs> and that still happens. So you'd think at a certain point, you'd be like, you're good. Like, right. don't freak yourself out. But it does. I just need to get to the work as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one of the things that I learned from John Rogers is uh, like this 48-12 schedule uh, where I write for 48 minutes straight. I do not check my email. I do not text. I do not look at pictures of my kid. And then I break for 12 minutes. Hmm. And I do that for as long as I need to to get it done. Now, there are days. John would be so disappointed in me for saying this. There are days when I throw that out the window because I just like I get on a roll or like I'm on a really tight deadline. But that has been very effective for me because we've all like you know, stared at the blank page and been filled with terror, or we've all gotten to a scene that we were dreading all script and been like, I just, I don't know. I only know the bad version of this. I don't (laughs) even know the bad version, you know, and, and again, it's all about managing my anxiety. If I only have to do that for 48 minutes before I can go get coffee Mm -hmm. or go look at, you know, the New York Times website or something, um, it helps just push through. And so I do that for as many as I, as I have to before I get my work done for the day. And I usually... Um, you know, you were saying that you can, like, write 12 pages a day. Um, I will usually give myself, like, some sort of goal of, like, mm-hmm. I'm going to do 748s, you know, mm-hmm. or I'm going to do as many as I have to to get this act done. Um, because otherwise, I'll be like, oh, I wrote for, like, an hour and a half. Right. I feel like I accomplished a lot. I'm good. Which is exactly why I don't have a novel. Because that's how I wrote my novel. I'm like, I wrote a good 25 minutes. Right. I feel like that was, like, really hard. And I'm going to go to... Four-hour break. Yeah, I'm going I'm to go watch some House Hunters. <laughs> yeah. So that's um, that's my process. And uh, cool. I try to, yeah, just get to it as early as possible. And do you have a space that you work in? What does that look like? <laughs> 
daddy of a like, baby. What works for you? Oh my god. Well, our life is ridiculous right now because um, we have a two bedroom apartment and four mammals that live there: three humans <laughs> and a big dog. And um, our office, like literally, my bulletin board where my pilot for CBS. I mean, this is like big time. Was like leaning against our door next to the dog food and my baby's like bouncer and they're like tax on the floor and I'm like don't eat the tax um excellent parenting um so I like I had to rent an office but um we're also buying a house which is why I have to go back to work soon so if anybody's listening I'm unemployed and buying a house it's a great business strategy for god's sake help her out yeah no kidding um so I I am one of those people who likes to go to a coffee shop. I like mm-hmm. kind of need to get out of my house, especially now that I have a baby, because yeah. if I'm in my house, what I want to be doing <laughs> is keeping, you know, my husband from dropping the baby or something like, or which I want important. to be, which is super important. Or like, I want to <laughs> be playing with my kid. Like right. I really, but I've always been like that. And also I'm very collaborative. It's why I wrote for a partner for mm-hmm. the, a good chunk of my career. I like being around people. So when I'm on a staff, it's great because yeah. I can write for a while. You can walk down the hall. I can bother Melissa or we have a mutual friend, Amanda. Like yeah. I can go and like talk and uh, and feel like I'm a part of the world. Um, but otherwise, I will like I'll probably go to a coffee shop or yeah. something just to feel like I'm not just, you know, withering away in my yeah. own bedroom. And there's something about the white noise of that that Absolutely. I find when the silence gets to be too much in the yep. office, the, getting the white noise of the coffee shop. Yeah, is really I agree. Helpful. And there are people who are like, "That's a terrible decision because you get distracted." And I feel like, I feel like you have to find what works for you. Yeah, yeah and absolutely. If and you're not getting work done, that's not wor- working for you. Right. But if you're going to a coffee shop and you're turning out, then it you works. know, then it's working for you. Yeah, and absolutely. I don't really like it when people give blanket statements about this yeah. is what every writer should but, do. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. I'm say fascinating yeah. because everybody does it. Yeah. Everybody does. Yeah. 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 Yes. I feel like we're always sort of discovering what works yes. too, like. We can yeah. do this for 15 years and you're still figuring it out. But right. um, so, so Stephanie, you were saying you w- will you always write in bed? <laughs> oh boy. Um, so the, I don't need much to write. It needs to be the first thing I do in the morning. Mm-hmm. I try to get up as early as I can and write. Like nine would be the latest I could ever mm-hmm. consider starting. And I can't have like a doctor's appointment in the morning. I can't have to. Yeah. I can't have mm-hmm. anything. It's like on writing days, I have to block it out. So it's the first thing I need to do. And I just need caffeine. I write from my couch a lot, but I've definitely written entire scripts in bed. I'm very anxious and agoraphobic, so I genuinely, it would be an added layer of stress to be in a coffee shop. So I just don't want anyone looking at me, Mm -hmm. coming up to me. I don't want to worry about where to put my laptop when I have to pee. I just physically am so uncomfortable and awkward in society that I just can't do it. I need to be alone. So as long as I'm writing in the morning and I'm alone, I'm fine. And, um... Yeah, and I just really, I mean, I give myself a lot of leeway because everything's like freelance. So everything's just from log line. I give myself deadlines. They want to list a log lines. Okay. Then when the log lines, they pick one. Okay. Mm-hmm. How, uh, give me 10 days and you'll have a treatment and an outline. And then, um, and I allow myself time to like, take days off and really like kick ideas around like I get most of my ideas when I'm driving so Mm -hmm. I really am not like one of those people that's like you have to do it every day or you're Mm -hmm. not a writer Mm -hmm. I take a lot of days off but then when I go to script when I start a script I start that day and I do not stop until I'm done and it max takes me like two you know like two weeks for like a half hour really just I can definitely turn around really quickly who knows I used to think like I don't know I just write the first thing that comes to mind even jokes and threads it's like whatever I think first is fine um (laughs) which maybe isn't the best but um I don't know I just really what does your rewriting look like um it used to be I used to have to like bug people to read my stuff. Like David Slack was the only person that gave me notes mm-hmm. for years. And like, um, and, but now I'm lucky that I have producers and mm-hmm. people giving me notes, but, um, I try to send the stuff in and the first avail they send me, I take, I jump on that. Whenever your yeah. first note call is, I take it. <laughs> and I like, if you have any cancellation, like, I'm just like, I will be stressed out mm-hmm. if I can't write. Cause Sometimes it's you're not going to be on another script. Like you can do your own thing, but if you're waiting for a producer yeah. call, it's like so disappointing if it gets pushed. So I take the first rewrite, I take the notes, I write them all down, I give myself a day to be kind of like sad about something or just like feel like a failure. Yep. And then I just rewrites are harder. I don't I don't like them the most. 
And they're the ones that sometimes you're on deadline and you have to like start at like three or you have to yeah. write. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't like that, but I, I like doing them. Like I, I feel like I do it well, so I don't mind it, but it's the waiting for, <laughs> for calls and meetings to get pushed. And, you know, and sometimes it's not the best to always be writing three things, but I get so unhappy if I'm not mm-hmm. constantly writing and hurry up and wait in this industry yeah. And yes. it's mm-hmm. it's challenging because I don't want to like be like immature and be like, I got to write something else and just start a new pilot without any input from anybody. But sometimes I'm like, I I, I think I should always be writing scenes yeah. like I just it's sure. life is way too stressful when I'm not <laughs> creating and Maybe characters. that script that comes out of it is like the next great script. And maybe it's not, but you get something out of it anyway. Yeah. I just didn't want to keep producing the same level of content. I wanted mm-hmm. to put myself in situations where I would get feedback so I would learn, which mm-hmm. is really hard when you're not in a room because yeah. you have to, it's challenging to bug people you love and trust that are showrunners, but to consistently be able to do that and then to expand out and get more and more. Yeah. It's like, it was really challenging for a couple of years to, I was like, this person just loves my writing too much. I need someone that <laughs> kind of like hates me. And, and, and you're, asking, two people, kinds of notes, right? and you're yes. asking people to do it for free. And, yeah. and also with a grain of salt, because now that I've worked with a different bunch of different production companies, you know that like, right. You literally, I developed a script with like a pod and then you take it somewhere else and they're like, they want to change everything that really even wasn't your idea. And you're like, yeah, the original draft, (laughs) she did this, but this was a note based on production. And so it's like everyone is going to have their own notes and they're going to contradict each other. So you just have to learn to like trust yourself too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But. (laughs) <laughs> I think that's good advice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Melissa, what is your... You were doing these two pilots this year. You were doing three pilots oh and novels. What does your writing life look like? Do you um, have a non-writing life? I do. I do. I can't um, even imagine. I do. I, have to, I also... I have children. I have a four-and-a-half-year-old and an 18-month-old. Um, and, yeah, we had, to, we had to get an office outside of the house yeah. because mm-hmm. there there is no getting work done. I mean, it's right around the corner from our house. I cannot write in a coffee shop. I can't have people around me. Mm-hmm. I mean, that sounds so horrible. No. But it is no, true. And, and I know, like, sometimes even if I'm running to Starbucks really quickly because I realize, oh, I haven't eaten. I need to grab something and I need to grab a coffee. And and if if the person at the register says, oh, what, do you have any big plans for the day? I just stare at them with oh, these God. dead eyes because I can't <laughs> I, I can't totally. function. And and <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, for me, I'm an early morning writer mm-hmm. for my prose, especially for the mm. books, because I'm still new to that. And it's very scary to me if I if I am co- fully conscious when I sit down to do that, it's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I'm exhausted and not thinking straight, that's that's the best. Um, and I just have, you know, I have half a cup of coffee and then I sit down and I do my I do a thousand words a day. And that takes me. It's it's funny when you were talking about the 4812 mm. method, it usually takes me 48 minutes to oh, do a thousand words yeah. wow. um, around that. I don't revise at that point. I get a draft done, even if I know as I'm writing, oh, this totally changes this entire mm-hmm. chapter. Um, I just go with it and I yeah. write it. I write the rest of it as if I've already made that change. Yeah. And then I go back and revise. That's my novel process, mm. which I am still figuring out. Sure. It requires a lot of faith. Um, we hear that a lot inter- for the yeah. screenplay process too, yeah. though, is like, just yeah. get something down so that they, exactly. the clay is there to work exactly. with. Right? And I think for me, for writing pilots or writing, you know, any sort of television script or, or I, I just know my process so much better mm-hmm. at this point um, that it's, you know, I do a lot of um, longhand, just free writing, mm-hmm. blue skying. Um, and I'll do that for, you know, an hour, an hour and a half, and I'll take long breaks. Um, I have found, and this was actually something that David Slack said long ago. I think it was David Slack um, that if if you if he starts a project in one location, mm-hmm. whether it's the bedroom, it's the office, it's this, it's that, it's Starbucks, uh, that's where he goes to finish that project. Yeah, and I think that if you're switching from pilot to pilot. Um, as hmm. I was this past season, it helps to have. That's really interesting. Like witnesses, I wrote like on my bed, mm-hmm. yeah. like on my side of the bed, sitting there, laptop. I wrote Strong Girl 
in my office. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so it. Did you it write is, the novel somewhere else? I I wrote the novels mainly on my living room couch. That's You're fine. a woman after my That's own name. But it is, and now that I have two young kids, it's very hard to to. Like get up to beat them getting up like where it's like right. okay because when I just had my daughter it was she would stay in her crib until I don't know eight thirty just singing to herself and my son just immediately wakes up saying mama 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 and I'm like oh okay well you're really cute so I guess I'm gonna go pay attention to you um, and my daughter's always been very independent so it's just you know I mean I don't know how she early yes, exactly exactly um, but now it's if I get up around 5 30 and try and I try it's pretty good. It's all Stephen King schedules. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> five to eleven. Yeah, wow, it's a, pretty it's a good book. You don't kill your day. Yeah. That is a great book, yeah. uh, and it's recommended every once writing, in a while. On writing, is that what it's I love that book. I yeah. I read and reread that. So but do the, I. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but the other thing I would say about my writing life is, um, I, I if I get two or three hours in, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't, unless I'm strictly on deadline, I allow that to be okay. Yeah. And then I go about my day and whatever is percolating in my, my yeah. brain yeah. is percolating and, and I'll figure you it out the next that. morning. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, you know, and that's when I watch, you know, Netflix or I read or whatever. Sure. I just allow myself because in the afternoon, I don't know. I'm just I'm like, useless in the I can't afternoon. write after what three, is the point? Yeah. one yeah. sometimes. I'm so yeah. useless. Shut down. Yeah. I can't. And I do think like that brings up a good point, if you don't mind me like no. interjecting. Can like, I think that, I mean, we're all like in this room because we're, because we're driven and we work hard. But uh, like it, I think that the challenge of being a writer is also finding boundaries and finding balance mm-hmm. and being able to give yourself the permission to like, take a weekend and not mm-hmm. feel guilty about it yes. or stop working yeah. at six and not feel guilty about it because that for me has been really challenging that and it's not because i'm a workaholic like i'm anybody no. knows me knows i'm not like <laughs> but i do have anxiety and so when i'm not working i feel like i should be and so for me like i do tend to feel really guilty if i'm like you know what i feel like i've done enough for today and it's six o'clock and I want to go have dinner with my kid or or it's a Saturday and I you know I don't want to be at my office I mean when I was working on my pilot and it's an intense process and my mind sold late in the season Mm -hmm. and so it was fast it was a little bit faster and there was one Saturday where like I was in my office and I walked to get coffee and I passed somebody who was like walking along with their son who's about my son's age and I just burst out into tears and I was like I have to go home if that's my body and my mind's response then I'm not getting anything done and maybe that means I have to work longer tomorrow but I think creating boundaries and creating balance is something that um if you're in this for the long haul and you want to have like a healthy balance to life Absolutely. and you should ask those, yourself those questions like not everybody does some people are like no I really want to work 20 hours a day and that's totally fine mm-hmm. but like it's going to be a hard choice and you're going to feel bad about it until it becomes like a muscle that you exercise mm-hmm. and I'm yeah. still learning that um, and to not apologize for it to not feel yeah. like yeah. oh I, I only work four hours today and I need to be yeah. feel ashamed about that you know like yeah. I think that's that is it's a great point and it's something I think at least for me that has come with maturity you know mm-hmm. it's I feel like it's something you have like you say that you have yeah. to learn how to you do but to we learn. have to leave it there um, I'm going to ask you all what you are watching on TV these days what is getting oh God. you excited it's or inspired general what's happening <laughs> I just got scared in my list okay what do you never miss? What are you talking about with your friends, your family? Uh, whoever wants to jump in first. Make it stop. Um, Please go first. What did I just watch? I just watched all of Russian Dolls like three times. I watched Sex Education. I watched... I'm still watching all of Smelf and Shameless and Crashing and... Um, I DVR like a million little pieces. I still watch Grey's. Um, I'm really excited. I'm watching the end of year, the worst. I'm really excited about, um, search party coming back. Um, these are good answers. Hulu, uh, pen 15 is really fucking fantastic. Um, Patriot on Amazon, 
Like, yeah. I, I, I watch so, so much TV. So much TV. Everyone, uh, my friend group comes to me and they're like, the day it comes out, they're like, was it good? Like, every, it's like David and Katie just like, no, like, oh, Stephanie, like, you really just, I do not leave my house. <laughs> that helps. Yeah. yeah. It does help. Yeah, it does For help. Sure. My house. Uh, Jessica, what are you watching? Oh, man, I do not want to follow that answer because that is like a list curated by a cool up. person. Like, yeah, and, and it's a my, great list. My list is going to be like. She can't hear me. It's a little too hip. I'm sorry. 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 It's a little too hip. Oh no! I, I am not one of those people who writes television but doesn't love television. I love television, but truthfully, I get forty five minutes at the end sure. of the day, yep, and usually it. I fall asleep fifteen mm-hmm. minutes through that. So, um, so I have to watch things that are short and 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 like get to the point. Uh, mm-hmm. So, like Brooklyn Nine Nine, I'm obsessed. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's the, a joke machine. It's, it's a yeah. And show. So, what else are we watching? I love This Is Us, but I'm three episodes behind. Um, I rewatch a lot of things that just make me feel good. Mm-hmm. Like I've been rewatching yeah. a lot of like Gilmore Girls lately. Oh. So that, you know, I, my list is like probably curated from you know 2002. Um, no, that's, but that was yeah. a really good year. It, it was a good year. Like I remember being really young in 2002. And <laughs> I was yeah. in high school. Shut up. <laughs> Am I allowed to throw things? Like you can't see it. Do so, it. So, no, like, this all around. It's just just laying in the middle of the table. She's being yeah. a monster. Right? Yeah, she is. She has such a cool list, and also she's really young, and, and you always can't see her, but she's like super cute. Yeah. Anyway, whatever. Melissa, get us out of here. Um, I rewatch things as well, and. Um, uh, right now, and for the past three years, I've been rewatching Thirty Rock on repeat. Yeah, I've seen it so about. Good. I've seen the entire series about eight to fifteen times. Oh my God. So good. Um, and because there was a point in you know, when I was my second pregnancy where I had a ton of anxiety about just everything, and that's what I started watching just mm. all the time. And it was it was kind of my um, my safety blanket. And my husband says now he can't watch it without just thinking of depression. Oh. So he's like, it's no longer fun for me. Oh. But I, I'm rewatching that, and then also The Wire. I'm rewatching The Wire. Oh, so um, and Is this your first rewatch of The Wire? No. Oh, really? No. I, I was wondering I, how it Here's re-watches. the thing. I've seen like five movies in my life, but I watch them like over and over and over again. And it's kind of the same with television where I find what works for me and what I what is kind of predictable. And, and I like to see how things are constructed. And it's the same with books where mm-hmm. I will, if, if it's a thriller, I'll read the end first and I'll see how the author got there. And, mm-hmm. and I I don't know. I'm not a fun person. But, um, but yeah, so I tend to keep going back to the, the same like things over and over. Right? Take yes. it apart and put it back together. Yes. It's cool. That's really good. Uh, listen, we have a lot more to talk about. Thank you all so much for being here. Please come back and chat another time. This was great. Thanks. Thank you. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.